Hebrews 11, 30 and 31, short, sweet, and to the point. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. And Lord, we thank you for the time that we had to spend around the table, Lord. And just the reminder that you, every week, open up your arms and invite us to eat with you, to receive your mercy, to receive your peace, to receive your grace, uh, to be reminded uh, that you are our God who loves us and takes care of us and cherishes us. And Lord, I pray now that we can have our hearts and minds open to your spirit. May your spirit speak to us, work in us, and transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you know me, you know there's one thing that I hate more than anything, which is surprises. I don't like them. I don't like them one bit. Surprises are overrated. Every now and then, though, a surprise can be an, a, a good thing, but it is incredibly few and far between. Uh, I, I love my son for the fact that he will tell me if something's about to happen, and if I need to know if, I don't know, Annalie or Laurie or anybody got me something, he'll tell me, uh, which is good and bad, because then it means that you, he can't be with you if you get your wife a gift, because then he'll spill the beans to that. But he helps me with this whole surprise thing. He helps me with not having to be you know, startled by something. I just, I just don't like it. Surprises are just overrated. And over the last few weeks in Hebrews 11, as we've been walking through Hebrews 11 and the notable characters of the Hebrew Scriptures, there really haven't been any surprises. There's not really been any names or stories that have surprised us. I mean, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses. We know these people. We know these people, and if any of us have a history in the Church of Christ, we know them from flannel graphs. Like, we know them. And if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, then there's a pretty good chance that you've heard these names in popular culture at some time. Abel, Noah, Abraham, and Moses, the patriarchs of faith, are not um, obscure individuals. They don't surprise us that the Hebrew writer brings them up. They feel like the obvious choices for the Hebrew writer. Their lives are proof, like we talked last week, of living beyond themselves, of, of seeing things that could not be seen, and that their lives are a testament of faith, and that as we've been talking, faith produces something with us. It, it produces something in us. It produces how we live and how we speak and how we act. And within the lives of Abel, Noah, Abraham, and Moses, the Hebrew writer sees their life and their actions as a witness to the coming work of God in the world. Which brings us to our text for today. Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, or in other translations, Rahab the harlot. And when you read her name, the writer always tends to put either prostitute or harlot next to her name, just in case you might have forgotten who she was. It's an incredibly surprising choice by the Hebrew writer. But the writer, this Hebrew writer is not the only writer to use Rahab. 
We also see her name written in the book of James, in the letter that James wrote, in James, 20, in James 2, 25 and 26. James will say this, talking about faith as well, for James' own kind of purposes. He's just talked about Abraham, and then he goes to verse 25 and says, Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute, in case you forgot, also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And here James is saying Rahab is an exemplar of faith. James is using Rahab's example of faith in his own way, but he still uses this surprising character of the Hebrew Scriptures as an example of faith. And so what do we know about Rahab? Who is she? What did she do that has placed her in such a privileged position in both James and the Hebrew letters? Rahab surprisingly shows up in the account of Joshua, in Joshua 2. As the Israelites are on the cusp of entering into the land of Canaan, Joshua will send two spies, or in other translations, two men, to take a look at Canaan, especially the fortified city of Jericho. And the two men are noticed as strangers as they enter into Jericho. As they enter into the city, people begin to notice these two guys stand out. They don't look like everybody else. You know what I'm talking about. It's like you see someone walking in your neighborhood. It doesn't look like Bob or Bill or Mary or any of that. It's somebody new. Well, they notice and they begin to talk. As these two men are noticed in Jericho and as the city begins to talk about them, these two men make their way to Rahab's house. Slash inn. Slash brothel for the night. It is there where they must rely on her to hide them. They have to rely on her to keep their secret. And they have to rely on her, as we see in Joshua 2, to lie to the king's men. A tall task to ask when the punishment for harboring the enemy is death. A tall task to ask of Rahab to kind of give up her life for the sake of these spies. So why does Rahab, a prostitute, do all of this for these men? Well, because as we see in Joshua 2, news travels fast. And in Joshua 2, 9 through 11, Rahab will say this to the men. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that dread of you has fallen on all of us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you, went, before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and were beyond the, that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. News travels fast, Rahab says. We know what's been going on. We know what your God does. And so Rahab proposes a deal with the spies of Joshua. I hide you. I keep you safe. And I show you a way out of the city. In turn, when you ransack the city, 
you'll keep my family safe. After the Israelite men who had placed their trust in Rahab for safety, Rahab now in turn places her trust in safety in, as we read in verse 11, the Lord your God, who is indeed the God in heaven above and on earth below. A confession of faith. A confession of faith from the lips of a Gentile, not a Jew. A female, not a male. And a prostitute, not the most virtuous profession that one could think of. It's from these lips that we hear the confession, the confession of God and God's mighty works. It's actually the first time we'll hear it. And she's actually mimicking the words of Moses. It comes from the lips of the most surprising character in this scripture. A Jericho, a Jericho prostitute named Rahab. This surprise heroine in the story has caused early Jewish writers and interpreters some consternation. And you can imagine why. I mean, in this story, in which, as we know, the walls come tumbling down. The hero of the story is not the spies of Joshua, but who? A pagan prostitute woman. So you can imagine uh, the Jewish interpreters were like, ah, what do we do with the story? Because let's remember something. Let's remember to the gospel, Luke 4, Luke 4, 25 and 28. You remember that little section when Jesus went to his hometown, unrolled a scroll, unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and read it. And the entire hometown was like, good boy coming home. Look at him. And then Jesus happens to say, yeah, y'all seem to be real happy of me, but, but um, um, let me remind you about the of how God worked. Do you remember that story of Naaman? you remember who he was? Do you remember when Elijah, that Gentile woman, you remember how he helped them? And the minute that Jesus brought up this idea that God helps Gentiles, right? That God cured Naaman. That God took care of the widow. You remember how the hometown acted after that? Anybody remember? Anybody remember what they tried to do to Jesus? They didn't pat him on the back and say good stories. No, he had to get out of town. They got mad at him. The reaction was not favorable to Jesus. So it's no surprise that Jewish interpreters struggled with this interpretation of Rahab, a Gentile woman, confessing God in a not very notable profession. And we only read about Rahab, here's the kicker to this, we only read about Rahab in Joshua 2 and again in Joshua 6. And after this, there's not many mentions of Rahab except in the New Testament, in Matthew 1, in the genealogy of Jesus, in the letter from James that we just talked about, and for our text today. Since then, or with that, Jewish writers have attempted to kind of add on to Rahab's lore, much like Moses, like we talked last week, try to figure it out. So Jewish interpreters try to add on to Rahab's lore and legend and throughout Jewish tradition. And in fact, one writer, Robert Foster, summarizes it this way and says this about the uh, Rahab story. That 
uh, that as she integrates herself into the Israelite community, this is some of the uh, ideas. One, she became the wife of Joshua and the mother of prophets. Two, the other tried to sanitize her past by depicting her as just an innkeeper. While still others attempted to minimize her role in Joshua 2, giving all the glory to the spies of Jericho. With all the history of the Jewish writers trying to understand In the story of the people of God moving into the promised land, it's not Joshua, it's not the spies, or anyone else given the spot in Hebrews 11. It could have been. I mean, for crying out loud, Joshua has a whole thing, book written after him. No. It's Rahab. Within the context of Hebrews and, and, and the Hebrew writer, we begin to see that it's Rahab and the legend of Rahab that has everything to do with what he's trying to get us to understand about faith. And in fact, what we see in this last verse is that Rahab is the last character mentioned with a deed. After this, he will name some names, but he won't put a specific deed next to their names. Rahab is the last character who's given this honor of a deed to say, faith that is hoped, faith that is a hope in things not seen. Let me tell you about Rahab. And then after that, I'll give you some names. I mean, that's got to be worth something, right? It's got to be worth something that we talk about Rahab. The faith of Rahab was so noticeable and worth mentioning by the Hebrews writer that whatever was attempted to do to her name could not hold weight to what she did in Jericho. It did not hold weight to her faith in the God of the Israelites, a surprising faith that no one expected to find in a pagan land. And even before the Israelites entered into the promised land, get this, as we read the story, God was working and preparing their victory. And where do we find God working? In Rahab the prostitute. And where would Rahab find salvation in the midst of her crisis? She staked her life. And might I add, the life of her family on a God she knew nothing about, except through stories and deeds. She staked her life on the saving nature of an unknown God of the Israelites. From the mouth of Rahab, do we have, as we've noticed a few minutes ago, a confession that God can save. Rahab places all of her trust in this God for her salvation and the salvation of her family. And as the Hebrew writer says, it's because she welcomed the spies in peace. She makes the decision that her life would be better placed into the trusting care of God. And think about this when I say life. I'm not talking about some like financial or societal well-being when we think about life, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about this thing that, that Rahab is trusting that, that God will continue to provide for her financially or God will, you know, keep her status. No, Rahab is placing her life 
into the hands of God. She is trusting that the God who saves can also save a pagan. That the God who is the God of the Israelites actually cares about a Gentile. That this God is not just for the Israelites, but God can also be for her. Now that is some kind of surprising faith from a surprising individual. When the spies came knocking on the door, we see a faith in Rahab that completely trusts God. She trusted that God would keep the promise. Not the men of Israel. She trusted that God would keep the promise. That God would remember her as they came into Jericho. While the world was falling apart all around Rahab, and we see that, do we not, in in Joshua 2. All of our hearts have melted. While everything they've ever known is seeming to fall apart. Instead of giving in to it. Instead of trying to find a way to repair it. What does she do? She places all of her hope in God. The world was on fire. And as I wrote that, the world was on fire. Does that not feel like it is today? I mean, we're now dealing with two wars in this world. It feels like we can't turn on the TV without someone shouting at someone else. It feels like we can't really have conversations. And folks, we're getting ready to get into the holiday season, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And oh, by the way, we have an uh, uh, election cycle beginning to start. Who in here is really looking forward to that table? Yeah? Yeah? It feels like everything is burning around us. It feels like everywhere we turn, something is on fire. We hear the screams of those telling us to be on their side or that side. Trust in this thing or trust in that thing. If you trust in this thing or that thing, you'll be saved. If you trust in this thing or that thing, your life will be better. When the world's on fire, where do you place your trust and hope? Where do you trust your life to? And who do you trust your life to? Rahab believed that the God of the Israelites could save her in the moment when the walls came tumbling down. And that that would be the best hope for her future. That faith in God would save her now in death, but also later in death in the hope of resurrection. This is a faith that trusts when the world around us is burning, when the future looks uncertain, and we know that when we look around us and that when we look at the things going on today, that we're all facing an uncertain future, and when we look around us and everything feels uncertain, can you place yourself into the hands of God and trust That the God of the Israelites can even save you. Putting it simply, do you and I believe that God is the God who saves? Do you believe now that God is the God who saves? Our entire life, everything about us, should look the same as Rahab's. We should be a people of peace and hospitality. Why? Because our hands are entrusted to the one who saves us now and will save us later in the hope to come. Why would we worry about an uncertain future? We see the story of Jericho, that God is ahead of us, already working into our future. The other day I watched a movie, and I'm sure most of you have watched it. 
In fact, I know most of you have watched it. Anybody seen Hacksaw Ridge? No? Okay, good. I love the fact some of you are shaking your heads. No, I meant, but then I can tell you the story and it'll surprise you. Hacksaw Ridge tells the story of Desmond Doss. Doss was an army medic in the Second World War, but was also a conscientious objector. Everyone know what a conscientious objector is? Okay, good. Uh, so he was a conscientious objector. Why? Because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and their beliefs is that they do not pick up a weapon and kill a human. But he still believed he should serve. So he served as an army medic. And there is a line in the movie that's attributed to Doss when the army is trying to kick him out because he's a conscientious objector and still wants to serve and it just doesn't feel like it works, right? There's a line in the movie they attribute to him and this is what he says. I love this line. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, this is World War II, doesn't seem like such a bad thing. Doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to put a little bit of it back together. Doss would be ridiculed by fellow soldiers for his beliefs, and he did the best he could with his faith in God by doing his part in putting a little bit of the world back together. And in fact, he would later be awarded the Medal of Honor by President Truman for his heroic actions saving the life of a hundred men on Hacksaw Ridge. With the world burning around us, are we a people who pick up a match? And throw a bit more gasoline on the fire? Or do we live into a trust that God has our lives in God's hands? Do we trust our lives as Jesus trusts his life to the Father? Not my will, but yours be done. And pick up our cross and be a people of peace, be a people of hospitality, and maybe even put a little bit of the world back together. One person, one neighbor, one friend, one family member at a time. The story of Rahab is a surprising story because it catches us off guard because we're not, we're not ready to see a Gentile in this. Not with where she's, he's going. But here he says, let me tell you about a lady who with the walls coming down and everything she ever knew falling apart, hears the story of God and says, I'm going to trust that this God can save me. And so I'm going to be a person of peace. I'm going to be a person of hospitality. I'm not going to be a person of fear because I believe with an uncertain future that God has called me to put a little bit of the world back together. And even if it gets me in trouble, even if I've got people coming at me, even if I don't know what's going on tomorrow, I know that by trusting God, putting a little bit of the world back together, that God has got me. And if I can trust God, if I can have faith in God, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. God's got the future. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Right? It'll sound e it sounds easy when I say it. It's a lot harder to put in practice. It's a lot harder to be a Rahab to say, with death staring me in the face, 
I'm going to trust that God's going to save me. With death just a few years down the road, for all of us, I'm going to trust that God's got my life. There's resurrection on the other end. And because of that, I can be a person of peace, hospitality, love, mercy, trust, and everything else in between to each person I encounter, to every neighbor in this day and in the weeks to come. So why don't we do that, huh? Let's put a little bit of the world back together this week. What do you say? You know, let's just, let's just try. Let's just try it this week. Don't be so worried. Trust God. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.